Hello and great to be with you yet again in chapter 17 of Luke. Um, It really is good to be with you. I know we're not technically together, but I know we are doing this together. It gives me a lot of strength in knowing that I'm not alone. I hope it gives you a lot of strength in knowing that you're not alone, but we are doing this together. I promise you, if you're listening to this, there's more than one person listening to this. I know that. I can see the results, (laughs) but you're not alone. I I love that. We are doing this together. We're growing together. Uh, The Lord is strengthening us uh, through this time. And if I was doing this alone, I I don't know if I would have continued. I'll be honest. I don't always have the best self-control or discipline when it comes to doing things like this, but reading through Luke each and every day, we're going to get there, aren't we? We're almost there. We're, We're on the cusp. Chapter 17, after today, just seven chapters, and then we're at Christmas, and we're also at the end of Luke, where we have been enjoying our studies. Well, I'm assuming you have been. I know I have. But here we are, like I said, chapter 17. But hey, as we begin, remember how I said it's good to feel like you belong and you're with other people doing this? Can you think of a time where maybe you didn't feel like you belonged? You felt alone? Or like an outsider, you can look at it either way, depending upon your situation. I remember I went off to college, which I actually, I loved college, in Corey University, Stewart, Nebraska, go Bulldogs. But the first week there, I, I didn't know anybody. It was pretty awkward. You had to do all these strange getting-to-know-you games. Like I said, it was pretty awkward. It seemed like a lot of other people knew other individuals there, but I felt kind of alone, only like two people I knew. It was tough. I felt alone. Maybe some of you feel that way at times. Maybe someone's feeling that way now. I I don't know. You know who probably felt alone? Lepers. (laughs) I'm sorry, but they probably felt very lonely. I mean, you have individuals with skin falling off their bones. It's a painful thing. And of course, it doesn't look good either. It's rather grotesque if you were to see somebody with leprosy. And we're thankful that this isn't something that we really have to deal with today, especially in our society. It's, it's curable. But it wasn't back then, right? And the whole point of it was if you had leprosy, you couldn't go around anybody. You couldn't be a part of the community really for a couple of reasons. One, you were ceremonially unclean. If you contact somebody else or if you're next to them, you make them ceremonially unclean as well. Even if they didn't catch the disease, the fact that they were around you, they were unclean until they went through the special washings and such. And then they could go to the temple or go to the synagogues, be with other people. You had to go through all of this in order to be clean. Now, it wasn't just for the ceremony. It was also for the sake of the people you loved. You couldn't be around individuals because you didn't want them to catch it either. You wouldn't want them to go through it. You had to go through the disfigurement, the pain, the suffering. I mean, you really had no community. And you can tell that by the way these lepers are together when they come in contact with Jesus. We see that it's not just any individual, but it's nine individuals plus one. Nine Jews from Judea, and then one who was a Samaritan. 
really what people called a crossbreed at the time. Probably an unfortunate name, but that's how they referred to them. Uh, former Northern Kingdom Israel mixing in with, well, other cultures. Samaritans didn't get along. But when it comes to leprosy, I guess it seems like it doesn't really matter who you're with, right? You're unclean, you're unclean. You find people that you could associate with. You don't want to be alone. So I guess it's not a problem that these nine are hanging out with a Samaritan. It doesn't matter to them. The more the merrier, the more they can feel like a community, the better. Yet when they come across Jesus, what do they do? They ask, they say, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said, okay, go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Naturally, then you would go and be cleansed, and then you'd be able to be a part of the community again. But this individual, the one that's a Samaritan, he comes back. He says, thank you. Right? That's probably an understatement. Could you imagine having your life completely stripped away from you for who knows how long? And then all of a sudden, just like that, something that you've been dreaming about for who knows how long, it happens. The person has mercy and says, here, your life is back. I mean, now they can go wherever they want to go. They are part of the community. They can be with people again. They can get a job. They don't have to beg. They can go see their family. They can actually have a life again. Jesus gave these 10 individuals their lives back. Now, of course, the one was a Samaritan. Maybe deep down he realized that Jesus didn't have to do this for him. Jesus, the good Jew, right? He wasn't a Samaritan. Jesus didn't have to do it. He was clean. He didn't have to associate anything with him. Wasn't it risky? Jesus getting close? Well, not for the Son of God, right? Not for Jesus. He was willing. He made them clean. He gave this guy his life. See, this is important because of where we finished off last time, yesterday, where we had these Pharisees, and we know they were represented from the parable or the story. It wasn't technically a parable. But you had the rich man who was Jewish. He saw Father Abraham and called him that. He called him Father he trusted that as a good Jewish individual, he was going to be fine, right? And he was extremely wealthy, very representative of the Pharisees. That was the whole idea here. But just because they were wealthy and knew who Father Abraham was and even claimed Father Abraham to be their father, that didn't matter. It was beyond that. Right? It wasn't enough. Simply your biology didn't justify your sins. It didn't wipe you clean. It didn't heal you. But see, I love that because what does Jesus say to this Samaritan, this outsider, this foreigner? He said, rise and go your way. Here it is. Your faith has made you well. It wasn't about his past as messed up or as mixed up as it might have been. It might have felt like an outsider all of his life. I don't know. That doesn't matter because Jesus welcomes sinners like these. I don't know. I, I think I need that. I need to hear that sometimes. Someone like me. Someone who messes up, sins, 
maybe feels like an outsider, struggles, certainly imperfect. Despite what some of you think, pastors are not perfect. Perhaps we just hide our sins better. <laughs> We're not perfect. But he says, rise, your, your faith, your faith has made you well. What was his faith in? It wasn't in his heritage. It wasn't in the good things that he's done. He, he believed that Jesus could heal him. See, this is what it comes down to. Faith in Jesus. There's a reason why I skipped to this middle part, because I think it makes the previous sections a little bit easier to understand. Just prior to this uh, cleansing of the lepers, we see a title, at least I do in my Bible, it says, Unworthy Servants. And it's a little confusing at first, right? It says, Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once to recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly. Serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward, you will eat and drink, right? So the whole idea is when a servant comes in, you'll treat them as a servant because they are a servant. You're not going to reward the people for doing what they're supposed to be doing. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty, right? Simply put it, don't expect any kind of special congratulations or, or good job. It's not like you've done anything that was out of the ordinary. We're living as God has called us to live. Now, when you hear that, we're like, wow, just doesn't sound like a lot of appreciation. Well, wait a second. Look what happens with the lepers. We see what kind of God that we have. One who cleanses us. One who forgives us. We have so much to be thankful for. As that individual counts his blessings and is thankful for his new life, what do we have in Jesus? We have new life. He has restored us. He has brought us back into the presence of God where we were separated from God because of our sins. We have everything because of him and thus we give him his life. We are unworthy servants and we are so glad to serve him. At least I know I am. It's not like we're serving a hard master. He's a just and righteous master and he's filled with grace and he gives us life. No, it's an honor to serve him. That's why it's great to, to follow these laws and commandments that he set before us and do what he's asked us to do. That's why we don't want to let him down, not because we'll somehow be cast away in punishment, but he's our God. He loves us. His grace fills us up. We know that when he tells us to do things, it's for our good. So we're going to do it. We're his servants. All right, that takes us now to the beginning of chapter 17. We're kind of working our way backwards here. Where it talks about the temptations uh, to sin. And when Jesus goes into this little bit of a teaching, it causes the disciples to say, Lord, increase our faith, right? Because it just sounds so hard. And one of the things that he talks about is if your brother sins, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in the day, and then seven times says, I repent, you must forgive him. This is why they say increase our faith. Lord, this is hard. But think about it. How many times do you think you sin against God in the course of one day? In the course of one day, how many times do you think you've broken the commandments? Speeding down the road? Well, that's breaking the fourth commandment. Honoring your father and your mother, right? The authority. 
How many times have you gone off on somebody in your anger? That's really actually killing somebody, right? If you look at the full meaning of the commandments, maybe lusted in your heart. It doesn't take long for them all to add up, right? So how many times does our Lord forgive us? The reality is we couldn't even count all those times, could we? Yet he forgives every single one. But he also says, pay attention to the little ones. That's actually how he begins the chapter. And we'll talk more about that next time in chapter 18. But there's another little spot here that says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. You see, we haven't talked about that yet, did we? We only talked about forgiving him. But there's that word there, rebuke him. And that's so tough, especially in our society today, where we don't want to take responsibility or really be told that we have sinned, that we've wronged somebody. Usually the response is pretty simple. It's don't judge me. We've touched on that a little bit already, haven't we? A Christian's understanding of love can be very different than the world's understanding of love. The world's understanding of love, it's simple. Accept me as I am. Don't offer me anything else. Don't try and change me. Don't try to tell me that I'm doing something wrong. That's not for you to decide. Now, certainly there's a way we can do things in a loving manner. And we're not going around looking for people to make mistakes so that we can rebuke them. That's not our goal in life, right? But it's saying that we shouldn't let things fester. If somebody does something to us, or somebody does something that's a sin against God, that we we have to say something, right? That That's part of love. And we do it in a loving way. If I see someone drowning in their sin, or maybe better put, if I see someone drowning in the water, hey, don't worry. I'm fine. Don't judge me for what I'm wanting to do here. I'll be just fine. But I know they're drowning in it. I have to throw out the life vest. I have to do whatever I can to save them because I love them. Same is true with our sinfulness. If we see something that's really hurting our brother or sister, they might accuse us of judging them, but we just want them to have life and live it to the fullest. We have to say something just so that we can love them. But I know that's increasingly difficult um, in our society today, but we don't give up and we don't answer to society. We answer to God. Because we know how we were the outsiders and God welcomed us in the same manner. We lovingly show people, especially our brothers and sisters, those who we have relationships with, we show them their sin in a gentle way, right? But we want them also to have life in Jesus, to let them know that we do welcome them too. We're not trying to to cut them off or to make them feel like they don't belong. We want them to uh, belong. We want them to know that they have a place in the kingdom of God, in the forgiveness of of sins. And that leads us to the end where it talks about the coming of the kingdom. And simply put, we don't know when the kingdom's coming, do we? We don't. We don't know when Jesus is going to be coming back. You know, people have tried to guess all throughout history when it's going to be, look, here it is, or there, over there. Or I've done all the mathematics um, from calculating the book of Daniel as well as Revelation and so on and so forth. And as I read it and study it, it just all makes sense. It's going to come together at this particular day. Oh, and it comes and it goes. 
In the meantime, some of these individuals have led people astray to sell off all of their money just so they can get the message out that people need to repent because Jesus is coming on that day. And then, of course, it doesn't happen. (laughs) Why? Well, no one knows the day or the hour, do they? We don't. But we know that he is coming. And so, therefore, what do we do? As unworthy servants, we do what Jesus has called us to do. We're thankful. We praise him for all the ways that he has uh, rescued us and saved us and has given us life. We're unworthy servants, yet he still blesses us and treats us as his children. We continue to offer forgiveness to our brothers and our sisters in Christ, and we lead others to him. And we point to him because we know that one day, could be today, could be tomorrow, that Jesus is coming. He's coming soon. Maybe not in our lifetime, or maybe not how we understand soon to be, but he's coming in time. And we thank God for that. In fact, that's what allows us to pray, come Lord Jesus. And we do. All right. Well, thanks again for keeping me honest, for showing up, for supporting me. And I'm happy to support you and your walk. We are doing this together. And uh, we will uh, come again tomorrow for Luke chapter 18. All right. We'll see you then.